Let me ask you to take your Bibles tonight. Let's turn to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms this evening. Psalm 37. Before we go to the prayer, prayer this evening, I want to take up another text of Scripture that jumped out at me and grabbed my attention as I read the Word this week. And in light of what we studied this past Sunday uh, about the changes that are rapidly taking place all around us in society, <clears throat> this seems to me to be an especially fitting meditation for this week. We, we talked in application class, those who stayed, we talked about our responses, the response of heart, kind of the visceral reactions that we tend to have to the things we're seeing around us. And I want to start tonight by just reading down through the first portion of this psalm that, that I found very helpful, very challenging to my thinking in light of some of what we talked about on Sunday. So Psalm 37, I just want to consider the first 11 verses of the psalm. <coughs> psalm 37, beginning at verse 1, we read this. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and be, uh, befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I don't know about you, but I certainly need to hear words like these in days like these. As I mentioned, we noted on Sunday that we are living in days when things in our society are rapidly moving from bad to worse. In fact, I was thinking about it today, it seems like evildoers are now the ones running the asylum, so to speak. They're in charge. They're calling the shots. They're defining the terms. They're getting their way, it seems, to use the language of the text. They're prospering in their way, from what we can tell. And as we said on Sunday, all of this tends to elicit some pretty deep responses from our hearts. What I thought was fascinating as I read the text this week is that it's clear that our Lord anticipated such responses from his people. He knew when we see these things, there are going to be responses in our hearts and in our minds. And in light of our bent to react, he moved by his grace, the psalmist, David in this case, to write and to challenge us concerning our responses to the evildoers and the wrongdoers we see in society around us. That's the language of the text. When we see this happening, what do we do? How do we respond? I don't want you to miss the fact that there are three clear warnings sounded in the first 11 verses of the psalm. Three warnings about how not to react. 
And then there's five instructions about how we should respond to God himself in light of what we see around us and what we know to be true. So I'm going to show you three, three warnings and then five instructions, okay? And we're going to do it quickly. It won't take us a long time tonight, but I do want us to think together about these realities. So three, three warnings, three don'ts in the text. First of all, I want you to notice that he says when you see these things happening, you see these evildoers, you see these wrongdoers, don't worry. Don't worry. Three different times in the passage, we're warned about worry. And it seems as if the psalmist knew this would be probably the, the leading uh, bent of our hearts, what we tend to do most, because he says three times not to do it. He warns us the, about the other things tw- one time each. But three times, he says in the text, don't worry. Look at verse 1 again. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Fret not, don't worry, don't be churned up, don't don't be overcome with anxiety. He says it again in verse 7, when he says in the second half of the verse, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And he says it again in verse 8, the second half of that verse, when he says, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Three times we're warned not to be worrying in response to what we see in the society around us when it seems as if evil is winning the day. Clearly the psalmist, under the Spirit's inspiration, believed that that worry was a very real, it was a very present danger for the child of God. I mean, when we see the wrong rising around us, we, we can easily grow. I'll just confess it. I can easily grow overwhelmed and anxious in my spirit. I can find that it just works me up. It churns me up. And I find myself anxious if I'm not careful. Not only is this anxiety a potential problem on the inside of us, which we know, we're told again and again and again in Scripture, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't be fretful and fearful. Not only is this a potential problem on the inside of us, according to the psalmist, it often leads to sin on the outside of us. Worry leads to other sin. That's what he said in verse 8. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Just think about it. How often does the burning of anxiety and fretfulness in me boil over into sinful attitudes and words and even actions that do not rightly reflect the character or the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? just overwhelmed and I'm worried and now I'm, I'm, I'm short with people and, and, and I find that I'm responding with anger and my attitudes aren't right. Why? Because I'm anxious. I'm, I'm worried. He tells us, don't fret yourself. It tends only to evil. Don't, don't respond like that. This is good counsel for us. It's good counsel for me. So he tells us first, don't worry. But notice secondly, he says this, don't envy Don't envy. Look again at verse 1. We read it in the second half of the verse. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Now, I don't know about you, but this one might strike some of us as somewhat odd. We we tend to think in terms, I mean, after all, what right-thinking follower of God would actually be envious of the wicked, right? The truth of the matter is that the warning is being sounded because we are often not thinking Rightly. 
we often don't think rightly. The truth of the matter is that the warning is being sounded here because we think wrongly often. Just consider the example of the psalmist Asaph. Just flip the numbers in our text. We're in Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. Just listen to what he says. You know these words. Many of you do. You're familiar with this. Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But he confesses, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was, of all things, envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And what did he conclude? All in vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. He says, why can't I just be like them? They don't feel guilty about anything. They don't go hungry. They've got all they want. They, they, they don't ever worry where their next paycheck's coming from. They've got plenty of money and they've got all kinds of things. They say what they want. They do what they want. They have no consequences, it seems, in their lives. He says, I look at those people and I compare it to how my life seems to be going as a follower of God. And I envy them. I wish I could live without guilt. I wish I could sin with impunity and it never bother me. I, I wish I could just do what I want and live how I want and go where I want and buy what I want and eat what I want and do what I please. I wish that was my life. How many professing followers of God, if deep down we could dig up what's actually in the root of their heart as they look at the world around them, it's not anxiety, it's envy. I want what they have, and I want it now. I don't want to wait for my reward. I want it today. In fact, I wish it, I had it yesterday. And we envy the wicked. Sadly, Asaph is not alone in his envy. And this is why the psalmist sounds, even in our text, such a serious and a sobering warning when he told us in our text, be not envious of wrongdoers. So he tells us, don't worry. And he tells us, don't envy. And thirdly, he tells us, don't rage. Don't rage. Verse 8 of our text, we read this. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Friends, both of these warnings are in regard to the existence and the, the increase 
of evil. He's been telling us, you see the wrongdoers, you see the evildoers, you see their prosperity, you see what they're doing, and, and what do you want to do? You just want to rage against it. He says, don't go there. Don't go there. Friends, hear me, there's a very real danger of our anger over evil, which can be, we said on Sunday, a righteous indignation. It's possible. But there's a very real danger of our anger over evil becoming an anger against God for His patience with the evil. Oh, I'm angry at evil. No, you're angry at God because He won't judge like you wish He would right now. You want Him to set it straight and He's not doing it yet. And your anger, my anger, often is not aimed in the right direction. The psalmist seems to be warning and instructing us at the same time. Friends, our energies, our energies can and should be put to far better use than spending them on anger that curses the darkness more than it shines the light. More than just being and doing what we should be and do, we find a lot of joy, it seems, in finding all the bad stuff around and calling it out, right? Let's, we like that. We just feel better because we can, we can just tell people what's wrong. What, what does he say? Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Now, friends, what I just said may not hit all of our ears well, to be honest. I'm not sure it sits well on all of our hearts. I know my own heart wants to, wants to say, wait, 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 wait. I, I can justify my reactions all day long. And yet the text is plain. The fact of the matter is that there's something in our hearts that wants to justify that natural knee-jerk reaction to what we see around us. We want to, we want to justify our worry. We want to justify our envy. We want to justify our anger. We want to justify, right? Because these reactions are what we all do, and it must be okay then. And what does he say? None of them are okay. We should not be responding like this. And yet we do so often. And what I want you to note as we consider now the rest of the text is I want you to note the fact that the psalmist doesn't just warn us about the responses we should not have to the evil around us, but he, he actually, more than that, he tells us, he instructs us with, with, with some, some specific areas of our response to God. The first thing we need to see in the text that I've got up before you right now is, is Psalm 37, 1 and 2 and 8 to 11, is that we have to remember something about the wicked. We have to remember something about the wicked. He says it all through the text. He says it here in verses 1 and 2. Notice what it says. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Why? For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Then in verse 8, he said again, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Why? For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land in just a little while. Now, it never feels like just a little while, does it? <laughs> never. Now, when you're waiting, it never feels like just a little while. But it is just a little while as God sees it. What's it say? In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. 
But the meek shall inherit the land, delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Don't miss the way that the psalmist teaches us not to to fret about the evildoers and the wrongdoers today because we know their end will be someday. And he says, someday soon. I'm always astounded when I see these references to time in Scripture because it never quite feels like the way it... I, I measure time. In just a little while, there'll be no, no more. It seems like they're always there, though, right? What's God say? You don't count time like I do. It feels like forever to you, but I will keep my word. How often do God's people prove to be the skeptics of God? <laughs> I thought he said it's just going to be a little while. Who's counting? He is. In just a little while, he says, you will not find them in their place. In other words, we must not be overly troubled by the rampant wickedness we see around us. Why? Because we know what is coming for those who reject God, no matter how successful they seem in this life. No matter how it seems that they prosper, we know their end. We know their end. Again, Psalm 73, Asaph had to come to this conclusion. We saw how he envied the wicked. But notice what it tells us in Psalm 73 and verse 16. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, what what is he talking about? The way that he had envied the wicked. The psalmist is saying, when I thought to understand my envy of the wicked, I mean, how, how, how can my heart go there? It seemed to be wearisome to me, a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then... I discerned their end. Truly, he says to God, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Psalmist said God wasn't doing it the way I wanted him to do it. And he said, I had to see God for who he is again. When I went into the sanctuary and I put my eyes on God, it changed my whole perspective. I was reminded of their end. And I was reminded of my end. At the end of the day, friends, we must come to understand and confess what we see in the world around us right now is not what will be true for all of eternity. And you know, all we tend to see is what's right in front of our eyes. We don't often have eyes to look where we need to be looking. You see, the wicked think they're winning. And sadly, some of us have started to believe it too. That's the problem. We forget who wins. See, ultimately the text tells us, our text tells us in Psalm 37, they will fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. The sun will rise and will burn them up. This is their end. 
So let that truth sink down deep in your soul. Let it bring peace to your heart and to your mind. This is what the psalmist is telling us. But we also need to ask, what confidence can we have that all of this will actually ultimately prove true? I mean, what is it we anchor our souls to? It's not just the destruction of the wicked. You see, not only do we need to remember something about the wicked, but we also have to respond rightly to our God. And I want you to notice the language of the text again in our, our passage. We saw at the beginning, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. They're not established. They won't last. Why? Because of another. And what does he say? Trust in the Lord. And do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices. So I told you there's five instructions here. I'm just going to run through them quickly. I want you to see them. I've, I've kind of bolded them in the text. Don't miss these instructions. First of all, we see one in verse 3 when we're told to trust fully. Trust fully. He says there in verse 3, trust in the Lord. This means that we must rely completely on Him and His proven character, His track record. We must not, to borrow the language of the Proverbs, lean on our own understanding. We must choose to believe all that the Scriptures tell us about God and to bank on Him and His promises alone. It means that we trust Him fully. The problem is we tend to bank on other things, right? To bank on the fact that we'll have a better day. The bank on the fact there'll be more money in the bank tomorrow. Payday's coming. The, the, the weekend will get here, and when the weekend gets here, we finally can rest, right? We're banking on all these other things. But where does he tell us to bank our hope? On the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust fully. But he doesn't just say trust fully. Notice, secondly, in that same verse, he says, be holy. Be holy. Trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. This means that we are to walk in the ways that reflect the righteous will and ways of our holy God. That while we're trusting, we're walking in ways that reflect Him well, that represent Him well. We're not just fighting our own way, making our own way through this life and making sure we get ours while we're here. No, we trust Him. And what does trust look like practically? It looks like holiness. It looks like obedience. It looks like submission to His will. Trust fully, be holy. Third response to God is this, delight truly. Delight truly. In verse 4, he says it, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
This means that as God's people, we seek our true and lasting happiness in Him and in His unchanging character, not in this life and its constantly changing circumstances. We delight in Him. We find our joy in Him. In other words, we are to find our joy and our fulfillment in Him above all else. I think we want to find our joy. I know I want to find my joy. Christian, I were talking about this this week. I want to find my joy in, in Him and, right? In Him and, it was nice weather today, right? And when the weather's not so nice, then I don't have any joy left because it was Him and, not Him alone. And our joy goes all over the map because it's rooted not in Him, but in Him and. We have to ask ourselves the question, is he enough for us? Delight truly in the Lord. There's a fourth response to God here. We said trust fully, be holy, delight truly. Number four, commit selflessly. Commit selflessly. In verse five, we read this, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. This means that we must choose to submit our ways to His ways. We must not demand that, that He do things as we desire. Give me my will. No, we must come to follow the example of our Lord and pray, not my will. But yours be done. He says, commit your way to him. There's a surrender here, a selfless commitment to the Lord. When that's been done, there's a trusting and a, and a, and a sanctification happening and a delighting and a commitment. What does it look like? Well, we see... Fifthly, a response this way, wait patiently. Wait patiently. Trust fully, be holy, delight truly, commit selflessly, wait patiently. Look at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And then he has to say it again. And stop worrying about those people that look like they're prospering. Just wait on the Lord. This means that we are to be silent before the Lord. That's what be still before him means. Be silent. Stop talking. Stop making noise. Stop letting your soul be so noisy you can't hear him. Be still. Be quiet. Before the Lord, how much time do we find ourselves because we're so worked up? And, and he wants to hear our prayers. But how much noise do we make with the almost vain repetitions? Just saying the same thing over and over and over. Almost like the prophets of Baal thinking, he's got to hear me and do it sometime, right? He says, be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. 
Friends, we must refuse to talk back to God. <laughs> His word speaks, and we've always got an answer, right? Yeah, but. I know what it says, but. I think. I know what it says, but I feel. There's, a, there's an answer. There's, there's soul noise so often. The word of God speaks, and I've got an answer. I've got a reaction. I've got something to say. I've got a justification to offer. I've got an excuse to make. I've got an argument with that. And the psalmist says, just be quiet. Listen to God. Stop making so much noise. In fact, James, when writing about similar themes, particularly our response to the word of God, James, we just have to say, as James instructs, that we are to be quick to hear, slow to what? Remember? Speak. And slow to anger. And in context, James is writing about our response to the word of God. Be quick to hear. Slow to answer. Slow to offer your retort. And really slow to get angry. In response to what God instructs. Friends, we must refuse to be anxiously running ahead of God or impatiently demanding that he speed up his work on my behalf, what does the psalmist say? Be still before him and wait patiently for him. He is the sovereign. He rules over all. And he is never late. He's never late. Now, friends, I, I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, in light of what we've been studying and what we're working through, what we're seeing culturally, these, these are the kinds of things I need to hear, but not always the kinds of things I want to hear. <laughs> I mean, these are right biblical responses to God that, that really silence the worry. They silence the envy. They silence the rage that naturally rises up in our fallen hearts when we see the wicked seeming to prosper all around us. What he says is this, stop looking at them and come to me. Stop paying so much attention to their bottom line. To what they think and to what they say and to what they're doing. And listen to me. Wait on me. Walk with me. Trust me. Delight in me. Represent me. This is his word to us in days like these. So friends, as we go to prayer tonight, then what I want us to do is this. I want us to pray as those who trust. I want us to pray as those who follow. I want us to pray as those who delight in. I want us to pray as those who submit to. I want us to pray as those who wait for the sovereign God of glory. Who, yes, is still on his throne even when it seems like the wicked are winning. And we trust him. And we speak up for him when it's appropriate. 
but we don't talk back to him. We wait. We listen. We rejoice in. We're sanctified by. We find him ultimately to be our delight. Even and especially in seasons when it seems like the evildoers and the wrongdoers are winning. As I said after Sunday, my soul needed that meditation this week. I need to be reminded that so often what I can justify within myself are not justifiable when I just read the word. I pray that by his grace, he would work in us so that we would respond to him like this and pray to him tonight like this. All right?